You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome. 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 To the Freedom Pact. Welcome back to the Freedom Pact podcast and today on the show we have the return of Jay Morton. Jay is a former SAS operator serving 14 years in the military. He's also a two-time Everest summiter, an entrepreneur and author of the book Soldier, Respect is Earned and that is what we are talking about today. Soldier in Jay's definition, each letter represents a trait that is true to being a soldier. We're going to be going through each letter and trait in today's podcast. And those traits are self, opportunity, leadership, danger, intelligence, excellence, and resilience. Jay is going to be teaching you how to develop each one of those areas and how you can implement them into your life or whatever it is that you do and want to excel in. If you prefer to watch your podcasts, this conversation is available on YouTube in video form. That is youtube.com forward slash freedom pact. Now, let's dive into this episode. It is the return of Jay Morton. Thank you. Thank you for having me back on. Appreciate it. I trust you had a wheelie bin bath this morning? I did, yes. Did you see it? Yeah, I saw it on your story. How, how was that? I mean, the weather outside down in Wales is terrible, so I'm not sure what's up like by you, but it looked uh, yeah. painful. Yeah, it's the same here. Um, yeah, exactly the same. But like, um, it's, it's quite nice because the, the wheelie bin's at a, a good temperature now, whereas during the summer, the wheelie bin was too warm to get into. Oh, okay, so you, yeah. you were getting into like a bin and not getting the effects of the cold. Um, and I bought a sauna during lockdown. Oh, wow. So now I do like I go in the sauna for 30 minutes, uh, like go out for a walk in the morning, come back, do 30 minutes in the sauna. And then the bins at a good temperature where I can just get in the bin. Um, and just to the point where you start shivering and then, and then I get out. Um, and then, do you know what? Like Lewis, the rest of the day, like, you just you zen right like nothing can bother you mm. you're almost like I, I tell people it's almost like you vibrate and you've got this like vibration um similar to like when you go out and you do some like some like long endurance or something like that it's like any problems any dramas anything any you know bad mood or anything that was sneaking in beforehand just gets completely like annihilated with the sauna and cold bin so how long are you spending in the bin um so if for now, if I just if I go straight from uh, bed into the bin, I'll do the temperature it is now probably about four to five minutes. Right. Okay. Um, to the point that I'm shivering. Um, if I go straight from sauna, it's probably about the same. If I go straight from the sauna and go straight into the bin, four to five minutes. Because um, you come out and you still like I've you know I've not got much I've not got much body fat on me, so I get cold quite easily. Uh, mm. Surprisingly. Um, so yeah, like I, I shiver quite a lot post, 
but then um, <laughs> the great thing is that like I've got it's 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 actually quite it's good to see like people on social media doing the same thing though yeah um, and I've got quite a few people that regularly send me videos of themselves getting in bins so um, and they're obviously getting the, the same benefits and I've I've even had a close friend who's actually bought a bin um, because you can buy an extra bin for your house, so he's gone out and bought yeah. a bin to, to do the whole cold bin thing. Wild. You've not tried it yet? No, I haven't tried it. I'll have to give her a go. Um, I'm not great with you're cold well, showers, to be honest. You're a Welsh boy. You're a Welsh boy. You should be You should be all over that stuff. I know. I'll, I'll give her a go. That's, uh, <clears throat> I'll try and do it before the year is out anyway. Um, yeah, the, the cold showers are good, though. Like, if you can... Like, cold, like that's kind of where I started, was just doing a cold shower mm. um, and just getting the benefits of, of that. Um and do you know what? If you can like, like, because the worst thing is the initial shock of getting in. Yeah. Then once you're in, your body kind of normalizes to the, to the cold, right? And you don't feel the cold as much. So like, I just found the best way was to just like stand under the shower and just turn it on, mm. as opposed to if you turn the if you turn the shower on and like put your hand in and yeah, start so feeling. Yeah, try it. and creep in, it all goes wrong. Yeah, 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 sure. Dreadful, man. Um, so before uh, yesterday, I jumped on a few. Um, fan groups and things of the SAS show and yours. And I asked people if they had any questions they wanted me to ask you. Probably about 40% of, they were probably 90% of these were women. Um, 40% of them asked me, are you single? Uh, the other 40% asked me for your number and the other 20% I probably <laughs> won't read out because uh, I like to think it's a family friendly show. So I think I'll stick to my own questions. Yeah, yeah, okay, <laughs> let's do that. Um, so we're going to talk about this book, Soldier. Um, awesome. So we're going to, I, hopefully we can go through each letter before the hour's up. Um, the first thing that struck me in the prologue was you get across this really like burning desire that you had, that you wanted your life to be anything but ordinary. What was it about you as a kid anyway that made you so scared of becoming content and living a, a mundane life? Um, do you know, there's probably a few factors there, but I think the main one was just, <clears throat> was just boredom with what we see as being normal. Um, and, and, you know, we all get conditioned to, you know, we came from a generation where our parents wanted us to go to school, do really well at school and then go on to college and university. And that then led into a job where you got a salary, which you paid into a pension scheme and then retire. And that's the, the common mold, which everyone, you know, pretty much a lot of people when I went to school, if not everyone, they all followed that mold. Um, so I guess kind of, if you go back to kind of school really where, you know, it's, it's like a retrospective thing because I look back on those times at school and, <clears throat> you know, I question why, why I was so bored and why I hated school. And at the time when you're at school, that's not what you're thinking about, right? You just, your brain's still developing. You're almost just thinking, um, you know, you know you don't like school, but you don't understand why. Um, and for me, it was more just about, it's boredom, right? Like, I know that if I'm not interested in something, then I struggle to get energy for it. And school was like a classic example for that. Um, and it's ironic now, because, you know, a lot of the, the topics that were getting forced down your neck that actually have zero, um, zero relativity to actual life or getting a job or a career like I'm quite interested in them now like mm. I find 
I find like reading about physics and science and, and space and geography and history like really super interesting. Whereas I don't know, back then it's like a forced culture. It's like you will learn these subjects to go to college and, and get a job. And it's like, even if you look look and take that model, right? When you when you go and get a job, I don't know, for example, let's say accountancy, it's like you don't you don't need history to be an accountant. Yeah, you need maths to be an accountant, but um so I guess it was like the whole school concept and being locked indoors and um you know then probably looking at the teachers and thinking like you know no fault by their own but they're not ex- they're not exactly inspiring characters are they um one or two maybe but the majority of them it's you know I wouldn't listen to them for life advice looking back now retrospectively um so it was kind of that really like looking backwards when I started thinking well this not you know this normal or what we see as being a normal model of of life kind of wasn't for me I went to college um and again lasted less than a year and then and then came out of college because it's the same thing right it was being forced to do this work not really understanding why you had to do this work but you, someone's telling you to do it yeah. um and then yeah like I found like I found that my energy was best suited for something in the military. Um, and that's where like, as cliche as it sounds, that's where I kind of got my education was, um, you know, joining the military at 19 and almost like being part of a team of, of people that are very similar to me of probably very, very similar backgrounds who, you know, most likely went to school and hated it and didn't get along well and got into trouble. Um, and and now they've found their way into the military and that that gave them a sense of purpose it gave them um something to be proud of something to work like work towards mm. um and it's all stuff that you enjoy putting your energy into um so yeah that was that was kind of that was kind of it really and then i guess as i progressed through my military career it was i don't know the older you get the wiser you get don't you and the more like I'm probably very much like you. I like, I like being inspired by others. I like getting all sorts of education, whether that's listening to people on podcasts, whether that's reading books, don't watch much TV, whether it's a documentary and that kind of stuff inspires me. And I guess the more I listen and read and do all that kind of stuff, the more I go off on this, uh, like this trajectory path that is completely uh, away from that normal model that we talked about earlier. Yeah. The the first uh, chapter in the book is about self. And um, one of the tests you mentioned, the Myers-Briggs test, uh, I've done that. I'm an INFP um, or borderline J. Um, why do you think it's so important for people to, you know, do these things and get to know their, their personality types? Because I don't think we do it. And I don't think... I don't think people focus enough on their self in mm. everyday life, even from a young age, right? You, you're taught almost to disregard yourself. And I think culture as well, social media, it's like, I mean, I know myself when I was a, a kid, I was quite shy and I was concerned what other people thought and whatever. And um, I just think it's, it's really important and the earlier the better to kind of understand you know, that Myers-Briggs one, the Myers-Briggs one does it really well in explaining quite simply, like where you are in a personality type. But I think it's super important that people 
or, or, or kids or whatever get onto that as early as possible so that you do understand that you work differently to, to everyone else, right? The way you work is completely different to the way I work and there's no right or wrong. They're both equally great in their own characteristics and, way, in, and ways. But I think understanding those characteristics and ways are you know super important for how you see how you see you fit in the world and and what you want to put energy into career career wise or whatever you do in the future yeah one thing you mentioned as well um that i picked up on is this idea of imposter syndrome um which i think is a a massive problem um for myself when i first started this podcast i added like dreadfully i remember the first few interviews i did i sucked like i was terrible because i was speaking i think the first interview i ever did was with um a woman who's a director at nike and you know that's a pretty big position to hold and i'd never really done interviews before and i just sort of i was thinking to myself like i don't deserve to be doing this and i was just very shy in the interview and everything she said i sort of just took as gospel i never challenged her on anything and i just think back to them and i had this very bad imposter syndrome at the time. Um, so f- how do you think it's best to tackle imposter syndrome and deal with it? It's probably just like what you did, right? Yeah. Just keep doing it and keep doing it. And do you know what? Like, do you still get imposter syndrome now? I mean, not nowhere near as bad. There'll be like one or two, will there be something completely out of my field? Um, I mean, I did an episode like a few weeks ago and I ended up talking about politics. I sort of had it then, but yeah, for the majority, yeah, yeah. no. Yeah, see, like, I still get it now. Mm. But, like, it's like, it, it, it's, it's, I don't know, we all started in the same place, right? Yeah. And I speak to some people, like, now that are, that are you know, the best of the game in, in whatever sport or business that they do. And it's so, like, the imposter syndrome thing is so common in, you know, people that, you know, people would deem as high achievers or people that have succeeded. Um, and to be honest, I think it keeps you quite humble. Mm. Um, like the understand, like I always just see myself still as this kid from Preston. Um, you know, and I feel like there's, there's this thing inside of me that's probably still that kid in Preston, but I'm trying to get away, not away from that kid in Preston, but like as far away from that useless kid in Preston and try and make, you know, try and succeed in whatever I do. Um, but that imposter syndrome follows you, follows you around regardless. I think, you know, it comes down to choice and it comes down to, you know, you have the choice to, to get away from that imposter syndrome and you do it by just throwing yourself into these situations that, you know, that seem difficult or seem unachievable. And the higher up you go or, the more along the path you go of throwing yourself into those difficult situations, you know, that imposter syndrome almost levels up as well. Right. Yeah. And what you used to get imposter syndrome for now you don't. Yeah. And now you get imposter syndrome in, in different scenarios and situations. Yeah. I guess, you know, it's all down to exposure, right? Yeah. I mean, a few weeks ago I was talking to um, a man called Brett Weinstein, who's a, he's a sort of, you saw that. Yeah. Okay. So, when I was getting ready for that interview, I was going through some of his um, materials online and like a lot of it was just going over the top of my head. And I was thinking... he's super intelligent, right? So, oh, dude, 
it's unbelievable. Like, I don't think I ever spoken to someone who's so into, I mean, I had to listen to the podcast back five times before I really understood what he was saying to me. Yeah. Um, so I just remember thinking, I was sat there across from him and he was talking about all these things. And I just remember thinking this whole thing started for me. Um, I started this podcast recording myself and my friend on an iPhone in Tesco car park at like one o'clock in the morning. And that's my only credentials to be, you know, up to this point. And I just remember thinking, what the fuck am I doing talking to this guy? Um, But But you've you've grafted, you've put the hard work in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like... And it's like, you know, that's another thing. People don't see that and just see like a successful podcast speaking to, you know, various characters around the world. But yeah, like that's, it's important to know that that's where it started. Tesco's car park. Yeah. Yeah. Tesco's car park. And it's, you know, you have to make a decision as well. You can, you can let that define you. um, And that's all you see yourself as, but you know, there's got to come a point where you have a bit of courage to say that, you know, unless you do put yourself in these situations, it's never going to really go away that that imposter syndrome. Yeah, true. And, yeah, and it's, I don't know, you, you've probably seen it as well. It's like the more the more times you throw yourself into these situations, the, it's that, that personal growth, isn't it? Mm. Like you you either see that it wasn't as bad as what you thought it would be. Yeah. Because like the build-up's always worse than the actual action. For sure. Like I always, I always find, like even, you know, waiting around to, to do an interview or, I don't know, whatever it is that you're getting nervous about, like even even back in the military, right? Take parachuting, for example, like waiting around to do a night jump. You know, you don't, after a while you don't get nervous, but like the nerves are just sat there, mm. but you've, you've found a way to just cover them up. Yeah. But you know they're there because no one likes night jumping. And then literally it's like the buildup is, is quite a long drawn out process, putting on the kit like walking out to the plane, receiving a brief, sitting on the plane on oxygen or off oxygen. And then there's like a, there's like a five minute, a two minute and a one minute count where you stand up, put your kit on, like walk to it, you know, the back of the, the plane drops down and you're looking into the black abyss. And like, th- this is the time when you're just like in your head, just going through, right. Okay. You do a few like dummy pulls and stuff like that. And you're like, get out, get stable, pull, right. Turn right. And then, it's almost like that moment where someone puts a thumb in front of your face and you go, like all that just disappears. It's yeah. the same in everything else, or I find it, it's the same in everything else. It's that build up and apprehension is so much worse than when you actually start something and completely forget about all that build up and anxiety and you, you get into the flow. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I mean, I'm interviewing someone tomorrow um, called Dave Rubin, who is very similar to, to, to Brett Weinstein and, you know, the build up to that, I can already tell it's going to stress me out. But when I'm when I'm into the flow, it'll be fine. Um, but in, in those situations as well, I think it's important to have the right people around you telling you the right things. Because the person I do this podcast with, um, Joe, I'll always speak to him. You know, if I'm feeling apprehensive about an episode or whatever, and he'll often give me confidence. He'll build me up. And that's something you you mentioned in the book. You talk about um, drains and radiators. And I think it's important to, to surround yourself with the radiators. So while we're on that, do you want to explain that concept or the difference between a drain and a radiator is? Yeah, just go back to what you were saying though, about <clears throat> the other guy. Do, what you find about like meeting these people, right, is that they're, they're just people just like you. Mm. And they're just, they're, they're probably exactly the same. They're probably a little bit apprehensive about 
like, oh, I wonder what he's going to question, like what his questions are going to be, what he's going to ask me, like how I'll be perceived, but perceived by like a UK um, like viewer base. Like I always find like, especially with the, the nervous apprehension, even like speaking to brands, it's like there's always a person behind that brand and that person's got a face. He goes to the toilet in the morning, he drinks coffee and like we're all just the same, right? And we all just get like nerves and apprehension before doing everything like no like you know i've not met someone that doesn't get some sort of nerves and apprehension if, and if they if they don't they're generally a psychopath yeah <laughs> so um, um trains and radiators yeah um i uh, do you know what like it was it, i've al- i've always just kind of said it trains and radiators and you're, you're either kind of one or the other right and like we go through this life and you meet those drains and I don't know, until you put a label on it, you don't actually know mm. that they're a drain, right? But you feel it. You feel it like suck the energy out of you. They're generally like negative people. They've, they're always making excuses for why they've not done this or why they weren't able to complete this. Um, and you never really understand that until you put that drains and radiators label on them. Um, and then you've got the radiators, right? It's like when you're around them, they make you feel good. They give you energy. You, you you can bounce off bounce off them right and um you just feel energy when you're around a radiator uh and they're, they're positive people and, and good people to be around and i've just found in my life it's like i don't know you either get one or the other right you don't really get people that are not or like sit in between them it's either people are either a drain or a radiator and um yeah like i think i say in the book it's like just my whole thing in life is just surround myself with as, as many radiators as possible um, and just get away from the drains. No, absolutely, man. I mean, I, I worked with a real drain um, once and like, no matter what you said to him, it was like, you could, you know, you, you tell him that you, you've done this thing and he's done it better. Or, you know, you say that you've got this, you know, you've passed this course, you've done this opportunity. He did it five years ago. Um, yeah. yeah. Or every, everything you do just sucks the life out of you. And so since then, I've, I think I've been quite ruthless with like cutting people out of what, who you learned here in a circle. And people might think that's mean or, you know, they might take it personal, but it doesn't really have to be, a, you know, a personal thing. I just sometimes you just got to be ruthless and, and look out for number one, because I think at the end of the day, no one else is going to look out for you, really. Nah, and like as, as much as it's cliche, right, life's life's so short, right? Like it's so short. I saw, <clears throat> I don't know, like I, I saw some kid get knocked off his bike the other day around here and it was just oh. like that, that kind of stuff just hits home that it's like he went out that day, jumped on his motorbike, took took a corner on that roundabout and like who knows what happened to him. He looked in a pretty pretty bad way. Um, but it's like that could just happen, right? And it's like you've wasted all this time just not cutting yourself away from the, those drains and like over a long, you know, over time, that it's like compa- compound interest with drains, right? Yeah. They have a they have an effect on you, and they have an effect on your overall mood and your overall view on the world. And um, yeah, I'm exactly the same, ruthless with cutting those people out and just meeting more meeting more radiators. Yeah, you gotta be man. Um, the second letter in soldier. Uh, so let's talk about opportunity. You sit there's a quote I I've written down here in the book. It's always better to regret something you've done than something you haven't so my question to you is 
is how you sort of weigh up um, opportunities and what they're worth. Because um, there's been a few times in recent years for me where an opportunity's come and maybe I haven't taken it, but then I spend the next month wondering if by you know not taking that opportunity, I've somehow changed the course of my life somehow in, in a negative way. So I wonder if you, when opportunities present themselves, how do you think is an, a, is an effective way of weighing up their worth? Um, so the way I do it is, is always on gut feel. Mm. And that usually points me in the right direction. Um, and, and, you know, like some, because uh, that opportunity is massive for me because, you know, I didn't really set out like from, you know, I wasn't from like a privileged background or, you know, like I said, like school was horrendous for me, didn't really enjoy it. So like I've never, I've never been given opportunity, but like I've worked hard to put myself in positions where like really good opportunities have, have arisen. Yeah. Um, and it's literally just being on gut feel and just going, you know, understanding that I didn't want that boring, monotonous life and just, you know, just took the opportunity when it, when it arose. Um, but you've got to be, I don't know, you've got to be in that mindset of being able to see those opportunities and recognize them. Um, I think I talk about in the book, I don't actually, cause I talk about that. But um, there's a part of my career when I turned up to Hereford um, where the opportunity was, or, or the choice for where I went next was completely taken out of my hands. Mm. Um, and I ended up going to Mountain Troop when I wanted to go to Air Troop or uh, Mobility Troop. And at the time it was like the worst, it was quite, you know, it was a bad, dis- or it, it was out of my hand, but it felt like it was a bad decision. Like I had zero mountain experience, something that I wasn't really interested in. Um, but that decision actually kind of was probably the best decision for me ever because it, you know, that led to, you know, the summits of Everest, the high altitude climbing, going away to Germany and training to be a mountain guide. You know, that led to me potentially leaving the military. And then it, it, it all has this butterfly effect further on down the line. Um, but yeah, like I'm, like I, you know, I'm a little bit like you. Like I, I've generally not, I've generally not said no to an opportunity. I've generally never said no to an opportunity, and then sat back and gone, mm, I wonder where I've, where that would have taken me. Yeah. I'm generally a yes man, and then if I get further down the opportunity and I figure it's not going somewhere, I, I don't feel like it's the right place for me, then I'll pull out. Yeah. There's a, a famous saying um, that luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think maybe for yourself, you know, some people might say, oh, oh ex-Special um, Forces might say, oh, he's very lucky that he ended up in, you know, uh, a TV show, a mainstream TV show. Or I might tell someone I'm interviewing, you know, Jay Morton today, and they say, oh, that's, that's lucky. I wish I, you know. That's, that's, you know, you're really lucky that that's happened. But I think what people don't see is that there's, you know, you have to prepare yourself for when those opportunities come or you're not going to be able to take them. So like for me, I know that if I hadn't spent a year doing podcasts where I didn't actually interview anyone, where I just sort of tried to learn um, the skills, uh, speaking skills, journalism courses online and things like that. And when the opportunity came where I first interviewed um, that woman I mentioned, the director at night, then I wouldn't have been able to take that opportunity effectively. 
So do you see that as, as opportunities being something we need to make sure we're ready for? Otherwise, we can't grasp them properly. Yeah, like, yeah. It's almost like you've got to know where you want to be in. Like not so much know where you want to be in five or ten years, right? I'm not, not a massive fan of that because I find, like, I'm just a, a massive fan of seeking out opportunity or noticing it when it when it falls on your lap um but yeah like i completely agree with what you're saying it's like like you have to be in a position to be given that opportunity in the first place Mm. but then you also have to recognize it right because opportunities fall on everyone's lap all the time and sometimes you just might push it off as a conversation or something that someone says or an email or whatever it is. But if you, you know, if you're in that mindset of, you know, searching for whether it's a a better life or growth, um, you're more open to those or you, I don't know, you find it's like a muscle as well, right? It's like the more opportunities you see and take, the more just tend to fall on your lap. Um, But you've got to be, yeah, you've I mean, you've got to put yourself out there massively. It's like, even the TV stuff, right? That came with knock-on effects and, and negative things and whatever. It's and there's a lot of people where that where that would have come up the initial conversations and not seen it as a, a massive opportunity to take and turn that down. Um, it kind of ties in with self as well. It's like you've got to if you understand yourself and how you work and and where you want to be, it's it's almost easier to spot those opportunities arising. The, the third letter, so let's talk about leadership. Um, it's something that fascinates me. In fact, I've done an entire episode on leadership with a, a leadership expert before. Um, what do you think are the fundamental differences between a manager and a leader? Because like, I think if everyone listening to this thinks of their boss at work, they can be a manager, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're a leader at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, I think I think managers are given position. I think leadership or leaders, I think that's a position that someone seeks out. Mm. Like you don't you don't search to be a, a manager. Um, do you know? And, and I, you know, you know, ev- everyone, anyone in a in a high performing team, whether it's you know rugby or in the special forces, like everyone in that team should be aspiring to be a leader, um, like first and foremost. Um, you know, not so much where they're, not so much where they're, they're annoying whoever's in charge because they're trying to push them out of the way and out alpha them or whatever. Um, but you should be, you know, when I was going through my military career, I'd look at who was in charge of me, and you know, there's some. I've, I've been in, I've been under under. I've had leaders that are, you know, really stand out and. Um, I've kind of looked at them and, and tried to model them and tried to look at why I think they're such a great leader. Mm. And then I've also had like the opposite of a really bad leaders where, you know, pretty much everyone underneath them felt that poor leadership. Um, and I've tried to analyze that as well, which has led me on my own kind of path of like when I come to look after guys, but guys below me or whatever, um, the characteristics that I want to, take from both styles of leadership what do you think are the biggest mistakes that poor leaders have have made in in your experience or the the, the 
the worst traits they have for to become a leader then yeah i put it down to i mean it all it felt like it all stemmed down from like you know personal insecurities yeah. uh, like lack of trust is a massive one and that has a knock on effect in terms of micromanaging um you know and, and in, in the role that we had you get a role from whoever's in charge and you go and carry out that role and if that person has no trust in you because he doesn't feel like he could do it um, effectively, then that turns into micromanagement and, you know, micromanagement is the death of any leader. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's kind of the main one for, for poor leaders. Yeah. I like that. So if we're talking about danger, the next one, then um, obviously not everyone listening to this is going to put themselves in situations in which they, you know, climb an Everest or they're in firefights like you've been. But do you think it's important that everyone finds just a, a little way to expose themselves to something that triggers just a little bit of fear in them every now and again? Yeah, sure. And, and you know, danger doesn't necessarily, like danger doesn't necessarily mean those dangerous things where you're at risk of dying. Hmm. I mean, it could be something as simple as getting in the bin in the morning it has the same, that, that feeling that, that apprehension that you have when you wake up in the morning is the same, is a similar kind of, you know, similar kind of system that, that the danger system brings out in your body. Um, and it, it could just be like putting yourself in those situations that you, that you almost fear, um, you know, like what we were talking about before, um it, it could be something like simple as just you know going out for a run when you don't run like because a lot of people probably get anxiety and, and are worried about that kind of stuff um and then it's just about building on that right like the more stressful situations or the more difficult situations you can put yourself in um, the, the, the more you're going to come along as a human being and um, kind of the better you're going to develop yourself and the stronger you're going to be, right, yeah. as a person. I love what you mentioned as well. You talk about the holy trinity of, of dealing with danger, so exposure, knowledge, and commitment, um, especially the knowledge one for me. I think obviously the more you know about something, the less you're going to fear it, I guess. Um, so I, I could have been... I could have been scared to do this interview today, but I, I spent all day yesterday going through your book. So I have all this knowledge. So then when it comes to the interview, I'm not concerned at all. I'm not scared of it. Can you talk a little bit about that, that Holy Trinity and your system of, of tackling danger? Yeah. Like, and I'll just go, go on to say that everyone's different as well. Yeah. Like everyone, everyone responds differently to it. So whereas you like to, to prep yourself with knowledge a lot of people just like to throw themselves in and get con constant exposure. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's all about kind of knowing, knowing where you are and how you work within that, that system. Um, yeah, for me, I'm, I prefer just exposure. Like the more, the more times I can expose myself to something. Yeah. I like a little bit of knowledge, but it's more about exposure and just getting that, that, that constant exposure and just making it feel normal. Mm. One thing that we briefly spoke about in the first podcast we did was your Everest summits, but I didn't know the extent of some of the things that went on until, until I read this book. Um, and there's that story you give about between camp one and two in 2019. How mm. real was the danger you were facing then? And, and, and what did it bring out in you? 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty bad, you know. Like, it was one, it's one of those things though that until you start telling the story, like, like I've, I've been, I've been exposed to danger like my whole life, whether it's on tour, whether it's the job that I do, and it, it does start to normalise, um, and you, you know, it's probably a, a defence mechanism. We build up a good sense of humour around it. So I guess when you're doing it, like you don't, I mean, the thoughts and the thought was in, my, in the back of my head that, you know, like I say in the book, I kept, I kept imagining the guys waking up at camp two the next day and then hearing that there'd been a climb I found just below camp two and then realizing it's me, which actually made me laugh <laughs> bizarrely. <laughs> so I was like, so I was like, Oh no, I'd feel about seeing one of the guys. And, um, I don't know. That's probably, you know, that's probably a byproduct of just being in in some sticky situations in my life and just dealing it, dealing with it, um, with humour. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was like I, I remember leaving Camp One and I left um, left Geth with the, the Sherpa, and you know, I'd probably been like uncontrollably shivering for like a good hour. Um, I literally had all the clothes that I had on, like zero water. It was kind of pitch black outside, minus 20. And uh, it's quite like the climb from camp one to camp two is quite tedious mm. because it's a big, long kind of, do you know, like when you go out for a run, you've got those hills that aren't steep, but they're kind of slow and long. Yeah. So they take forever. So it takes like four to six hours, but it's a constant uphill slog. Mm. Um, there was a load of fresh snow so the tracks there was no tracks to stick to you pretty much just walking in in quite deep snow and I just remember I was walking and you can't walk fast enough to generate body heat but I was shivering so I'm like walking and shivering at the same time and then that's draining my energy because you know I'd eaten all my food I drank all my water um, and like the last bit going up to camp two is it gets steeper and I just I was just like I was pretty much done um, and I just, yeah, the thoughts are in, in my head, in the back of my head, just thinking, right, I'm going to be, I'm going to be that guy that, uh, <laughs> that dies just below camp two. Um, but nah, I remember getting, getting into camp two and yeah, I was pretty exhausted. I think everyone had gone to bed and there was just some, there's just some hot water and some cold food left out for me, which I ate and then found that I couldn't sleep afterwards. Cause I think my body was just that exhausted. It just just couldn't settle. I guess in that situation, you don't really have a choice. You either get on with it or die, I guess, right? Well, that's it. It's like, it's not like one of those immediate danger situations where, you know, for example, a car's about to hit you or like one of those dangerous situations that's over in a few seconds. This was, mm. this was something that you're going over for like three or four hours. And, you know, it's a situation that I've been in many a time, maybe not, like that close to death but like it's literally just a case of putting one foot in front of the other because you know where you've got to get to because when you get to there that's safe right you can get in a sleeping bag and warm up um but yeah it doesn't stop the, the thoughts going through your head of what what could happen uh, i can't imagine that man i mean when i went to base camp i think the the flight from luckler airport was an, was enough danger for me that's a fucking nightmare Oh, it's horrible, isn't it? Yeah. That's the worst part about climbing Everest, I think, is that flight to Luckler. It's, I think the, the more times you do it, the worse it becomes. I'd never do it again. And on the way in, um, because of the, there was so much fog, we couldn't actually take the plane. So we had to get yeah. a helicopter 
and oh, I was I'd, I'd never been in a helicopter before but by the I just locked it in I thought that doesn't look like a, a high-end uh helicopter yeah. and, oh man it was horrendous i hated every we second had, of it one of the because we, we usually fly well we fly out of um base camp when we finish the climb and that 2009 one <clears throat> we'd, we'd booked the helicopter and i remember it was it was getting towards the end of the day and, and literally the weather's quite it's quite standard on base camp it's like really good yeah. like really clear blue skies in the morning and then all this cloud just creeps in uh towards the end of the day and we booked this helicopter and it, it wasn't turning up for, for ages and it's getting to like four o'clock and it turns up and there's like a, a, a ceiling of cloud just oh. sat like above us and it managed to fly below the cloud land and um i sent the other lads on there i was like you guys get out of here and we're all like itching to get out of base camp because you just spent six weeks there yeah. so like everyone's just like i just want to get down and see some green and eat some food yeah i sent the, i sent the lads away on this this flight and i was like i hope it comes back i hope it comes back <laughs> literally this this helicopter came back it was just like me and some random guy just got on it and um like all the bags and literally he flew out and he ba- he's basically following the valley right yeah and he just he just hit cloud like just came to some cloud and he's he's like hats off to the pilot he's, he's a local pilot but he's hovering maybe like five meters above the ground and he's just like just like going forward like seeing that there's cloud there trying to go left like oh. trying to go right trying to go left he's just trying to like poke his way through yeah and like i spent like all my life in helicopters and like that like because you can't see what's behind the cloud right you can't see that there's mountains or, no. or whatever it is and i just remember being sat in the back and i was just like i almost want to, like want to watch because i'm in awe of his his helicopter skills but yeah. at the same time just close my eyes and hope that we don't crash into anything Ah, oh, it's horrendous, man. I'd rather just, just have a cup of coffee at Namche Bazaar for me. Yeah, yeah, and great a few beers in the Irish bar. That's the one, yeah, great place. Um, on to the next one then, intelligence. We mentioned the school system already, but I'd, I'd love to, to get a take on it. What would you change about the school system if you could? Is there anything you'd add or, or take away? Yeah, um, you know, I think you could probably condense a lot of the, the topics into into like a you know a multiple topic class um i think i think business is a really important skill um you know how to set up a business how to be self-employed how to do taxes how to do all that stuff that you know that you struggle to learn even even as even as an adult um let's think what else like a more emphasis on outdoor stuff yeah um like you know you do the classic sports but um even just kind of outdoor learning um whether it's kind of nature stuff whether it's learning about you know the oceans and how they work and and how they can be dangerous and um yeah more more emphasis on just being outdoors and climbing and and that kind of sport as well um what else I think that maybe uh, a bit of an emphasis on social skills as well would have been, for me yes. especially, uh, beneficial yeah, yeah, yeah. at the time. Yeah, um, conversational skills, right? Yeah. Because that's, like, I think that's one of the most important things as an adult is conversational skills. Absolutely, absolutely. I'd also add that maybe the way I think they assess people, um, because if you don't have a good memory, you know, you're, you're buggered because you're not, you're not actually taught the subject so to speak or how to understand the subject you're taught how to 
remember certain things to pass the exam so you know you you don't for history for example at gcse level anyway they don't teach you to understand or interpret the history they just teach you remember these dates remember these facts regurgitate them onto a bit of paper and then you know your memory will give you a grade yeah and where's the kind of thinking process process in that that you want as an individual like if you were employing someone it's like yeah memorizing stuff is great but what about like strategy what about you know like free thinking ideas um all all this all this creative stuff that fits well into building businesses or or doing stuff outside of the normal yeah there's an example you gave in the book i can't remember what company it was i think it was a magazine company and you talk about like they say that when people apply they don't want their cvs because that's like not an accurate representation of what they can offer yeah it's true though right it's like Spot i remember on. writing writing my cv and i was just like i sound like superman <laughs> yeah um but it's it's like that's the the couple of sheets of a4 that you know it's it's not lying is it but you're just trying to make it as elaborate as possible so that you get employed um, yeah and it's like you can teach it like if you've got a business you can teach anyone how to do any skill right it's just how how adaptable they are um like their their personality type and their character in terms of can they pick can they can they fit well into a team and that can they absorb this skill and, and and work on it and make it better yeah i think back to cvs and in my school um in my gcse years i think one teacher tried to start up a debating club and i turned up to it and i think three people turned up and it never happened again it was just like a one week thing didn't work but on my cv to this day it says i was captain of the debate club in yeah, school yeah, yeah, yeah. um <laughs> And my, my brother, my brother took it one step further. I mean, in 2005, you know, they do the Times Person of the Year. Um, yeah. In 2005, they said that the Times Person of the Year was everybody in the world. So my brother's CV, he's got Times Person of the Year 2005. I mean, genius, genius. I mean, you can pretty much put whatever you want because no one can fact check it, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to ring up my school and ask if I was the captain of the debate team. Are they? I mean, exactly. Yeah. I, I just think it's like. It's, so I can imagine some people are really good at writing a CV, but then they might be really crap at other things. Whereas you might find someone just, you know, isn't articulate enough to write a CV, but then they're the kind of person that you want. Yeah, for sure. On to the uh, topic of excellence. What would you say the the key things to sort of hone in on and, and focus on? Um, because I think, especially in self-help lately everyone's on this pursuit for excellence it's, it's all about this pursuit of excellence what do you think the key things to focus on if you're one of those people on that pursuit um yeah it's i, I guess it's important to have some sort of markers um i'm not a massive fan of them but um you know every kind of system seems to work where it's got some sort of mark or a goal to work work to and i think it's it's important to understand right it's like you use the term excellence but it's one of those things that you never really achieve or you shouldn't really achieve. I think the, the moment that you think that you've achieved it and you are excellent in anything is, you know, probably the biggest mess up that you'll ever make. Um, I think I mentioned it in the book. It's like always being that white belt, always yeah. just having that, that beginner's kind of thirst or that beginner's curiosity. Um, and, you know, you, you can coin it a search for excellence, but it is that, that never ending journey of, of just trying to, you know, be clear, you know, seek more knowledge, gain more skills, 
be more healthy, be around more radiators, yeah, um, all those kind of things. I guess for you at the moment, one area you're focusing on is, is probably business with your with your clothing company, uh, and this sort of goes back to intelligence. But how have you managed to sort of self educate yourself in the topic of business? Were you looking at materials? Was it just hands on experience? How did you sort of learn? It's exposure again, and just getting in, get get in getting involved with it. Um, and, and I think it's probably something a lot of military guys do a disservice on themselves with when they leave is you kind of don't understand what your skills are and how they fit into a civilian world. Um, but like, you know, military guys, especially, special, especially, uh, special forces guys, like you, you do, you know, however many years in the military and then you leave and you've, you've developed all these skills that you actually didn't know you developed because yeah. you just do it through osmosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and some of those skills are very key in business. Um, and, and a lot of the stuff that we did in the special forces is like learning new stuff and adapting yourself to new situations or, or tasks. Um, and that's what you do when you start a business, isn't it? Yeah. It's like you, you kind of look at what you need to do and adapt and adjust yourself to that and just learn as much as you can and throw yourself in. Mm. I guess another example of, you know, I'm assuming you didn't, you didn't go to university, you didn't get a business degree. It's just all sort of hands-on experience. And I think, you know, there, there maybe are some degrees in which people get, but they didn't necessarily need. I mean, my main job I ended up in was a gym instructor. I have a degree in history. So not sure how that helps me, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly that. Um, that goes back to seeking opportunity as well, doesn't it? Oh, exactly. Just, just just trying to find those opportunities and take them. Yeah. The last letter, um, resilience, um, brings me back to an episode I did with an author um, who wrote a book called 48 Ways to Build a uh, Strong and Resilient Mindset. And the concept of the book is just about, he purposely came up with these 48 ways to, to challenge himself or put himself in, in difficult uh, situations. So I think similar to the bin thing you do, it's like cold water shark. There's things like he'll, you know, go and sleep on the street for a night or something random. And there's 48 things you can get through in the book. And it's, you know, it's to build a resilient mindset. But do you agree that like purposely putting yourself in challenging situations is like a good way to build that, the resilience up? Yeah, massively. Like um, <clears throat> I always kind of explain it like when you're a baby and you, you come out of the womb, um, you're helpless and you're so reliant on on you, you, your parents to bring you food, to look after you, to stop you from falling over and banging your head. Um, but then the older you get, the more kind of you can do and walk and talk um, and you fall over, you bang your head and you learn not to do that again. Or, you know, you jump on a bike and you fall off the bike, bang your head and you, and you learn not to do that again. And it's it's that whole thing of like we're not born with resistance but over time and over falling off our bike or falling out of a tree or you know being dumped by a girlfriend or not getting the grades we wanted or you know not getting the job we wanted or playing in sport all these kind of things of you know putting ourselves in you know um, stressful situations or putting ourselves out there we build resilience through that and then there's there's kind of hacks or whatever you want to call them um, that you can do on top of that. So the bin's a classic example. It's like 
if I can get up in the morning at 7am, the first thing I do is get into a cold bin. Like everything else, just every other decision after that just seems so easy because that was the hardest decision that I had to make. And I guess I've kind of been lucky throughout my life is I've managed to build resilience through, through my job, through my career, through, through just being exposed constantly to difficult things. And then those difficult things normalize and you're on to the next level of difficult things. When I asked people for their questions, a few, like I said, obviously I didn't get many that I could read out, but one thing people wanted to know was what's next for you in terms of challenging yourself, because obviously you've, you've done the things at the climbing, um, you've done the TV show. Um, I think you're, you're coming out of the TV show now. So what is next for you? What is your next personal challenge? So I started racing cars. Wow. That's like How a did that massive happen? challenge. Opportunity. Like, got the opportunity and just went, do you know what? Like, I didn't set out to be a racing car driver, but it kind of ticks all the boxes that of something that I want to do. Um, so, yeah, that's like causing a massive challenge in itself because, like, all these other races, they started when they were eight years old. And um, now I'm, like, 36 years old trying to play catch-up. So that's like a massive challenge, you know, quite, it can be quite deflating when you see how, how poor you are compared to all these other races. But then at the same time, it's something that you can see yourself getting better and better at all the time. So it ticks the boxes. Um, and then, yeah, I guess there's, I've got loads of things going on. I'm like a, a juggling artist. Um, so like at the minute I've got a couple of projects that I'm working on, uh, which I won't talk about just because they're kind of in, in their infancy. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of want to get about, want to get back out to Nepal and start climbing again. Um, like I was supposed to do K2 this summer, but that's kind of not happening just because of the COVID thing. Um, so we'll kind of look at next year and how next year is going to look at uh, in terms of being able to travel and, and climb. Uh, but yeah, that's still on the on the to do list. Cool. The last question I have for you, um, for you at the moment, well, for me anyway, that what makes my life worth living at the moment is like conversations like these and putting them out and knowing that like if one person listens and it, and it, and it helps them, then I can, I can sleep well at night. Um, but for you, what makes a life worth living? So many reasons. Um, uh, like I'm grateful for like the smallest of things to the, to the largest of things. Mm. Um, yeah, like so, so many things, Lewis. Just like getting up in the morning and going for a walk. Like I enjoy that. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. Do, do you know what? Like I'm just, I'm a person that needs to do things. And if I'm doing things that I'm engaged in, then I'm, then I'm happy. Like I can't just, I can't just sit on the sofa and watch TV. Like that's when I'm unhappy and feel yeah. like unfulfilled. So as long as I'm engaged in things that I'm creating and, you know they're developing and I can see progress in them, then I'm a happy man. Awesome. Awesome. Um, time for a bit of call to action then. Um, we, we talked a lot about Soldier, the book today. Where can everyone listening uh, buy the book? Is there a, an audio book version they can check out? Plug away. Yeah. So uh, Soldier, Respect is Earned is out on the 12th of November. Uh, you can get it on Amazon or you can get signed versions on Waterstones and the audio book, which will be my voice, um, I like that. will should yeah should be out on the twelfth of November also. 
Awesome. Nothing annoys me more than when I download an audiobook and it's not Same. the author's voice. It's, Same. I'm not like, even like a massive fan of my own voice, but I just know how I feel yeah. like listening to someone else's book and it's not their voice. Yeah, it's terrible, man. Thanks for, for coming back on the show. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, I hope you enjoyed it as well. I'm, I'm off to buy a wheelie bin. Awesome. Cheers, Lewis. Take care. Cheers, man. I'll speak to you soon. Bye, man. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Freedom Pact podcast. Please, if you're listening on iTunes, leave a review and subscribe. Subscribe on YouTube if you prefer your video podcasts. And please consider subscribing to our weekly newsletter, our Healthy, Wealthy and Wise newsletter, which is available at freedompact.co.uk forward slash newsletter. Thank you guys so much for listening once again. We will see you back here on Friday. Until then, thank you for listening to the Freedom Pact podcast.